What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? A woman after God's own heart? What does that person look like? How can I be that kind of person? Do they sin less? Do they make no mistakes? Do they have their life completely together and everything figured out? Are they liked by everyone? Do they always find success in everything they do? I would think this kind of person would be far closer to perfection than I am or could ever be. But that's not the picture the Bible paints with David's story. David was an extraordinary man, but was, as Chuck Swindoll describes him, also an ordinary man, gripped by destructive passion, rocked by family chaos and personal tragedy. I'm Joseph Williams, an intern here at West Valley Christian Church, where we exist to love God and love people. Join us as we draw courage, strength, and hope as we dig below the surface into the life of a person that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. I, uh, I want to bring you back, for some of you, to um, a very fun time in your life. And this may have just been this morning, and for some of you, it might have been 30 years ago. But when is the last time you've played a good game of hide-and-go-seek? <laughs> now, some of you are like, what? Now, you know, in the Denton household, we have babies every 13 years. So I've been able to play hide-and-go-seek for about 20 years here. And one of the cool things that happens is that when you have children so far apart that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And what I mean by this is, you know, we'd play hide-and-go-seek, Drew and I, uh, many, many years ago. And then when Easton came along... I just went back to those same old hiding spots because we were in the same house, right? <laughs> like, for instance, actually, Drew's here. I'm going to wrap myself out because once in a while we'll still play. But, you know, like at our house, you know, you had that place where you had to start counting, right? And so um, there's a bunch of cheaters in our house, including mom. And so we made sure that it was in, in, the, in our bedroom that you counted and the door had to be shut. And you did your count to 20, and then you open up the door. Now, here's, don't tell them, here's my secret hiding spot. You got to outwits and outsmart, right? It's just like Survivor. This petite little body can't go in the cupboard like Easton and Drew could and Lisa. So what I would do is I'd hide behind the door in the room right next to where they're counting, and as soon as they opened up the door and started to make their way down the hallway, you know what this brilliant genius did? I would sneak right into the room where they were counting. Why would they possibly even think I'd be hiding there? And so, uh, yes. What's the goal of hiding and go seek? It's to go find a place. <laughs> Cheating. That's good. <laughs> it's to go find a place where no one could what? No one could find you. And it, it's a fun game. Unless it's not a game. Unless we're hiding so no one can find us. Then it's not so fun, is it? As we continue our series in the life of David, and this is our fourth week, we've been learning a lot about this man. But we're going to see that he played hide-and-go-seek. And we'll see if whether it was for fun or for real. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you so much for just bringing us to this place where we could come and uh, listen to you, to um, come alongside and, and hear from you, God. And Lord, you know the topic today, and you know the, 
uh, the potential heaviness of it. And we just uh, are so grateful that we could come uh, out of the, the heat and be in this place and uh, draw hope from you. God, I, I am so, um, so not the person to share. Yet uh, in my weakness, um, may you be strong. Uh, we love you and uh, we are just um, so grateful that uh, we have you in our lives. It's in the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So as we continue to look at this life of David, uh, I would like to start off with review because I realize not all of us have been on this journey together. But in review, we, we, we were introduced uh, uh, almost a month ago to a young man, right? Uh, a young man, maybe in his teenage years, that, that uh, he was uh, one of many children and he was the youngest. And, and I would go as far as to say he, he went from forgotten to favored. He went from forgotten to favored. And, and, and this young man, he went from being shepherd to being anointed as the future king. Then, then he had this battle uh, that was going on with the Philistines and, and, and we, we learned that, that it was David, when everyone was uh, afraid, it was David that took on this giant of Goliath. Do you remember that? And we see that it's David that went from what I would call zero to hero. He went from his father barely remembering his name you remember that? Samuel's like, and, and don't you have another one? And, and, and Jesse's like, oh yeah, that's right. There's this guy named uh, David, <laughs> right? So he went from uh, nobody knowing his name to thousands of people saying, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his what? Tens of thousands. David went from leading sheep to leading armies. He... Uh, as we learned last week, he had a best friend. His name was what? Jonathan. Jonathan happened to be Saul's son. Uh, life was great. Uh, he got married. He, he's, he's winning victory after victory because the Lord is with him. All is good. But then we saw last week that it began to turn, didn't it? It began to turn when all of a sudden David's kind of playing some music for Saul, and all of a sudden a spear goes flying by his ear. And he thought, oh, that must have been an accident until the second one went flying by his ear. And he thought, oh my goodness, this guy Saul is after me. And then we began to read uh, Psalm, or, or, <laughs> 1 Samuel 18 and 19 and 20 and saw that, 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 that Saul was after David. And this began to cause all sorts of unrest in his heart. And I would ask you, have you ever had unrest in your heart? Maybe, maybe even right here, right now, there is some unrest in your heart. David, David's life is going from being at the top to slowly crashing in. And we know this encounter that they had, and we left David behind a rock, hugging his friend Jonathan, maybe for the last time, and then he's on the run again for his life into the darkness, not knowing what his future holds, but hopefully understanding who still holds his future. Amen? And again, in this story of review, I'm sure there are different places in that story that you could connect with where you're at right now. But this is where we pick up. 
If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to open up 1 Samuel chapter 21. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, these fine men uh, will get you one. Raise your hand up high and uh, we open up uh, God's word here today. We got 1 Samuel chapter 21. And we're going to look at verse 10. Oh, I love hearing those Bible pages turn. Mm. It says that day in verse 10, David fled from Saul. And he went to Achish, king of Goth. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the, the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands. David took these words to heart and was very afraid uh, of Achish, king of Goth. So, so check this out, church. Verse 13, so he pretended to be what? So he pretended to be crazy in the presence, in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a what? He acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting what? Saliva run down his beard. Church, do you see what's going on? Here's David, this young man that was, that was tending sheep, the forgotten son who was, was, was working on his slingshot abilities. He was plucked out of that and then uh, anointed as the, the future king. And there's so much water under the bridge here and it's so much good and bad that has happened in the roller coaster of his life to the point now though, he is acting like a madman. Saliva is drooling from his own face. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be David in this moment? Achish said to his servants, look at this man. He's crazy. He's insane. (laughs) Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen? This is kind of funny. Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my what, church? Must this man come into my house? David has officially lost it. He's acting like a madman. He's gone from the top And what I'm going to suggest and what we look at here today to the very bottom. From the top to rock bottom. One of the books I've been using in this series is called David by uh, Chuck Swindoll. And Chuck Swindoll writes this. He said, David had a position and he lost it. He had a wife and he lost her. He had a wise counselor and he lost him. He had a friend and he lost him. He had self-respect and he lost it. Not unlike Job, it hit him with such back-to-back force. His head must have spun for hours. Oh, what it would have been like to be in the sandals of David. And yet, 
being sensitive to you and myself. I think, I don't think it would be far-fetched to say we've got some David sitting in here today that could relate to what David is walking through at this moment. Oh, maybe it's not the specifics of being chased down by the King Saul, but for you, you would fill in the blank with other things that are causing you to feel like, I don't know if I could do this anymore. And my question is, what do you do when this happens? Where do you go when this feeling overtakes your heart and your mind? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Hide and why, question mark. Hide and why. I started off with an illustration of hide and what? Hide and seek. And and what happens here is we're gonna take a look at hide and why because this is what happens with David. When life becomes so overwhelming, I believe for most of us, if not all of us, we begin to play hide and why. And I wanna make sure that it's, I make this perfectly clear that I don't think this is a bad thing. I'm not suggesting it's the right thing, but I'm just saying it's not a bad thing. And I'll speak to that a little bit later. I want you to go again, go to your Bibles and I want you to open up to 1 Samuel. And we've just read a little bit of 1 Samuel 21. And I want to go to verse, uh, uh, chapter 22. And we're just going to look at a few, uh, a few of the first verses here. And uh, we're going to camp out. We're going to camp out. 1 Samuel chapter 22, and really addressing this hide and why. Uh, verse 1, it says, David left Goth and escaped to the, the cave of what? Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down there uh, to, to him there. And, and I want to stop right there. David is acting like a crazy man. He's acting like a madman. He's, he, he's hit rock bottom. And it says that he went and he escaped to a what? He went and he escaped to a cave and, and, and Adullam. And, and what that literally means is hiding place. And, and that makes sense because all caves back then were, were, were kind of where the renegades and the, the riffraff kind of went and they hid from, from whether it was armies or for, from, from authorities or officials, whatever it was. Caves were a place to hide. It, it wasn't a game of hide and seek, fun, fun, fun. You know, it was a game of hide and I don't want anyone to know where I am. It's kind of, I'm going to hide and I want to be left completely what? Alone. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to feel anything. I don't want to talk. I just want to have a pity party and I'm not inviting anybody else but me. Come on, church. Have you been there? Are you there? And part of this message, you know, I'll make light of it, but the truth is I make light of it because it's so stinking serious. David is at this point 
where he's gone from shepherd, where he's gone from taking on Goliath, where he's gone uh, from uh, leading men to being a coward and hiding. And I'm not saying that, uh, that because, you know, I would not have done that myself. I am not putting down David. I, I don't even know if I would have even come close to making it as far as David did. I, in some cases, I, I think I would have given up a lot earlier than David did. I don't know what it's like to have the king, the person that has all authority, come after me and, and want my life. I don't know what it's like to, to one moment be kind of just this kid to all of a sudden having all this power and all this authority and all these expectations and God showing favor on you, but also wondering, why is this going on in my life? Have you, have you been there? Are you there? And this is the hide and why. Because I, I, I think, and I'm going to project a little bit here, but when we read Psalms and some of the stuff that he wrote while he was in the cave, I don't think I'm projecting too much. I think there was a lot of why questions going on in the cave. And I think for us, when life becomes overwhelming and we go and hide from the world, I think in that hiding, there's a lot of questions of why. Why me, God? Why am I having to go through this? Do you even give a rip about who I am, God? I was only trying to do what you wanted me to do. I didn't ask for this. Why, God? Why, God, am I having to do this right now? I'm sure David was sick to his stomach. Wouldn't you be? David had become what I'm going to call a cave dweller. Now let's remember the backdrop. Cave dweller, but isn't he still the anointed future king? <laughs> That's where I sit in my studies and just go, this, this two plus two doesn't equal four here. And even as one that reads this years later, I could find myself asking the same question. Now, now here's where I want to ask you. Is it possible in 2018 to be a cave dweller? Let me peel that back even further. Is it possible in 2018 as a Christ follower to be a cave dweller? The answer is, in my opinion, absolutely. It's called depression. You know, there's some sermons that you can't wait to get up and preach on. And then there's some sermons you say, God, I'll skip out on this one. This is one of those latter sermons. And I don't find it coincidence 
that two people in my life that I highly respect that aren't a part of this church both text me this morning. They don't do this. Both text me this morning saying, I'm praying for you today and your sermon. This is a topic that most churches don't talk about. And honestly, as I've shared over the years on this topic, my experience is when churches do talk about this, it's oftentimes in the context of sin. And I want to go on record, and I could be absolutely wrong, but I don't think I am. Depression is not a sin. Staying there is. Depression is not a sin. Choosing to stay there is. David's, David's cave and the cave of depression affects us physically, behaviorally, emotionally, cognitively, and spiritually. And I'm not going to go into all great depths of this, but their symptoms. The medical field tells us feeling depressed most of the day, diminishing interest in most, if not all, activities, lazy, the feeling of worthlessness, guilt, indecision. And really, the darkest part of depression is. Thoughts of death. You see, this cave is real, isn't it, church? And if you don't think it's real, listen to some of these stats. And there's, there's conflicting stats, just like anything. But in the U.S., I saw stats anywhere from 18 million to 40 million. And it really depends on what you're going to put under depression, because there's a lot of different... Um, Fingers to it, but 18 to 40 million adults. Let me put it in perspective. Depending on which number you use, that could be 18% of adults. That could be almost every two out of 10 or one out of 10. Whichever number you use, it's a lot. And so we'll probably have 600 people here today. Those stats would say, 60 to 120 within our church. And I would say those would be some conservative numbers. Again, what's my goal in this? To, to make us feel depressed? No, but it's to create an awareness to say, you know what? The reality is, even though as Christ followers, we trust in Christ and we believe he is the answer, the reality is still we are walking on this earth and the battle is real between flesh and spirit. And we need to understand that's part of what the importance of being the body of Christ is just that. Because some of us are up and some of us are down at certain points, amen? Where we could pull together and push forward. The devil would want us to stay in the cave. But remember, Jesus overcame the cave, didn't he? And so can we. 
490 million disability days from work each year in the U.S. because of depression. Internationally, 300 million people depression affects. It's one of the most debilitating conditions in our world, but it's not talked about. I'm not going into it. I shared this. My dad died because of uh, rheumatoid arthritis is what, what his death certificate would say. I would argue it was depression. It could hit anybody at any time, can't it? I read in uh, one of Chuck Swindoll's books, it says, uh, a quote, I am now the most miserable man living, wrote a famous American leader. If what I feel were equally disturbed to the whole human family, there would, or distributed, I'm sorry, to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on this earth. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better. You may be surprised to know the man who wrote these words, Abraham Lincoln. Years later, in the darkest days of the Civil War, Lincoln wrestled constantly with the specter of unrelenting unrelenting depression. It could take and strike anyone. No one is immune, not even a nation's president. Here is a marvelous man with magnificent character feeling absolutely alone. Surely the president ought to sleep well because of his protection, because of his wise counsel, to say nothing of his financial security. Yet there he was, tossing and turning through the night, haunted by a dark, debilitating thought. David's in the cave. He's scared. He's probably mad. He's probably angry. He's probably concerned. He's probably contemplating. Psalms, many psalms were written in this cave. One of the psalms that we know is Psalms 142. If you turn there with me. Psalms 142, here's David writing. And he says, I cry to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell him my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen, God, listen to my cry. 
for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me, God. I can't do this. Set me free from my prison, which I think was his mind, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your what? Because of your goodness to me. Church, can you see it? Can you feel David in, in, in this place where he just feels so isolated and so alone and so uh, unworthy and so, so separated from God, yet in this, he shares his heart to his creator? And if you go to 1 Samuel and we left him in the cave, we, we see that when David is in the cave, his brother and his father's household hear about it and they show up. Now, church, we can laugh about this because how crazy is this? You're hiding. You're playing hide and go seek. You don't want anyone there and they show up. Have you ever had the vase in your life when you wanted a pity party and you posted the sign that says nobody's allowed to come but me and then they show up? It's like, are you stinking kidding me, God, of everybody that could show up right now? They're going to show up. The ones that that ridiculed me, the one that made me feel like I was nothing, those ones are showing up. But church, it gets better. This is why the Bible's so cool. (laughs) It says in verse two, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontent, or or, did I say that? That word. gathered around him and he became there. (laughs) You're like, what? And he became their what? Commander. He became their therapist. About 400 men were what? We're with them. Now, church, if you don't understand what's going on here, here's this guy that's playing hide and go seek. He doesn't want anyone to find him. His whacked out family shows up and then, and then a bunch of other crazies show up. So like, don't, don't tape this, don't, don't record this, but what, what, like this whacked out mind says, you wanna feel better? Just get a bunch of weirdos around you and you're gonna feel better. <laughs> like for me, if I wanna feel better myself, I just need to go up to San Francisco and sit in the Giants stadium. And go, you know, I think life's bad for me, but really it could be much worse. (laughs) And we can laugh about this because it's so true, isn't it, church? And yet God is just crazy in a good way. It's like, David, I'm not going to let you sit here and pout. As a matter of fact, I'm going to bring some crazier into your life. And and David, you're going to realize it's not as bad as you might think it is. And church, here's where I want to be compassionate. I don't know you're crazy. I know some of it. You know, you think after almost 30 years of preaching, I would, I would figure this stuff out. I should have known that this sermon was coming. I should have put a big red circle around this week and just said, it just should have said, beware. Church, without any close to exaggeration, The pain that I have heard this week is is sickening. 
some of the most random things that I have ever heard in ministry have popped out this week. The cave is real today. The feeling of isolation and depression is real because the battle's real. But here's what I wanna do. I wanna spend the rest of this message saying, we're down but not out. I wanna be that football coach, that baseball coach, that cheerleader that comes alongside of you and says, I know what's going on right now is hard and difficult, but you could do this. You can, with your marriages, with your wayward children, with your own battle with anxiety or depression, with, 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 with addiction, with relationship struggles, with future, what, what, whatever it is, whatever that thing is for you. We can learn from the second part of this message. The first was hide and why. The second is write this down. Because this is what we learned in Psalms 142. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. And if that means scream, and that means yell, if that means, you know, quietly whisper, if it means go to the beach and shake your fist, whatever it is, turn to God because he's big enough to hear it. And he won't be surprised at your displeasure or your pain or your shame or your guilt or your anger or whatever it is. God is big enough. I might not be big enough. You might not be big enough, but God is big enough. And this is what David does. Even in all this cruddy feeling in his heart and his soul, he says in Psalms 142, I cry out to you, God, because I don't know what else to do. Even though I don't feel your presence, I know you've got my back. And that's one of the greatest things the devil uses against us in our life, by the way, in my opinion, is he, he bases your relationship on God on feelings. And when you feel him, he's there. And when you don't feel him, he's not there. And I want to tell you, God's existence does not, is not based on whether you feel he's there or not. God's existence doesn't, is not based on whether I feel he's there or not. Now, do I want that feeling? Absolutely. But he is because he is. And whether I feel like he's got my back or not, he's got my back. And that's why when you look at 1 Samuel chapter 57, 1 Samuel chapter 57, uh, um, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 57, you're going, that's not even in the Bible. <sighs> so, slow down. Psalms 57. Psalms 57. David again is, is sharing and he says, he says this. He says, have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me. For in you I take what? Refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to you, God most high, to you, God, who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions and I am forced to dwell among the ravious beasts, ravious beasts. Men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp, sharp words. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over the earth. Church, if you hear nothing else in the midst of all of this, we, during these times and all times, we've just got to say, God, I'm giving it to you. 
God, I'm crying out to you. God, I need your help. And this takes us to the gospel because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He saw, uh, he saw the pain in this world and he said, the answer is my son. Do you get that? The only answer is one and only son. And so he sent his son so that he could come alongside of us in the cave. He could come alongside of the woman at the well uh, that had so much pain. He could come alongside the woman who was caught in adultery, who was so filled with shame and guilt. He could come alongside the guy that laid by the pool of Bethsaida, paralyzed by the, by the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter five that laid naked, cutting himself by, by Zacchaeus. And, and the names go on and on about who Jesus came alongside. And it was cave dwellers that Jesus came alongside alongside and he brought light into darkness and you fast forward to 2018 and the cross still brings light into darkness it brings life into those that have no life it brings those people that are in the caves out of the caves amen this is the gospel this is why Jesus died for you and I huh and sometimes it's in the dark room where some of the greatest things happen. My house growing up, uh, one of our homes, we had a dark room. My dad liked photography as a hobby. And those were back in the days where you didn't have Costco. And you would develop film. He would develop some of the most amazing pictures, but it had to be in the dark room. Maybe God's doing some amazing things in your cave right now. Don't give up. Last thing I want you to write down is this. Cave to brave. Cave to brave. God uses the cave to help David refocus, to reboot, to reroute. And with all these crazies that he brought in there, God used those crazies to help David take his eyes off of himself and lean on the Lord. And these men became David's mighty warriors. And they went on to do some amazing things, this group of riffraffs. You know, one of the things I pull from that, we could be effective even when we're hurt. Some of us have disqualified ourselves and say, I'm so jacked up, God can never use me. Oh, be careful. Remember, he qualifies the unqualified. We could be effective even when we're hurt. I want to close this message. There's so much more I want to say. I want to give you some takeaways. Depression is real. It's not a sin. Choosing to stay there is. So how do we get out? Write this down. Cry out to God. Now you could cry out to friends. You cry out to pastor. That's great. Use that. But ultimately, you've got to cry out to God. Remember this. You're down, but not done. You're down, but not done. Last takeaway, God uses us even when we're hurt. 
You know the story, or maybe you don't. David goes on to be king. He goes on to do some amazing things. I'm so glad he didn't throw in the towel in the cave. Father, I pray for my friends, and I pray for myself. None of us are immune to wanting to isolate and to hide. As life gets difficult at times, it's so easy to want to stand under the cover, to hide in the cave of addiction, to run from church, to run from you. But God, we know that that's not the answer. Thank you for David, that even in his pain and his anger and his confusion, we see him cry out to you. And how he turned from a cave being his refuge to you being his refuge. Thank you. Pray for my friends here, where this struggle is incredibly real. I pray, God, that there would be a freedom found in their lives today. That the handcuffs and the shackles would be removed. Where there was no hope, that hope would be found. God, that this would be a day that could be marked on a a calendar where life change happened. Set us free, God. Empower us. Help us to be that light and that hope. We love you. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at WVCCH. If you'd like more information about our church or services, please visit our website, WVCCH.org. Thank you for listening.